0: Brian Foster, and this is the Grindhouse Institute. On each episode of this podcast, Jeremy Floyd and I program and discuss a double or triple feature movie night. Each of the movies share common themes, and we discuss them here. We're happy you could join us for today's film block that we call "Imaginary Friends." Nothing compares to a child's imagination. They're able to create fully functioning battlefields, star-faring space shuttle missions, and tea parties with guests from their favorite films and TV shows even if those guests are of the animated variety. Pretend or imaginary friends are a healthy form of childhood play. Creating social interactions, even with someone not physically present, can be extremely beneficial to a child's development. But what if imaginary friends are not imaginary at all? What if they exist in our physical world and have the power to assist or influence the actions of a child or an adult? What if these imaginary friends aren't actually friends, but instead possess more nefarious plans for their host? Today's Grindhouse Institute block is a triple feature, Harvey from 1950, Cloak and Dagger from 1984, and the 2019 film, Daniel Isn't Real. Dowd, Elwood P. A pleasant man in his early forties travels through life with his best friend, a six foot, three and a half inch tall invisible rabbit named Harvey. That only Elwood can see. Is Harvey all in Elwood's mind or is he a manifestation of the puka? a Celtic, shape-changing creature. An imaginative young boy named Davy is thrust into a global espionage conspiracy when a dying man hands him a mysterious Atari game called Cloak and Dagger. Davy, with the help of his imaginary friend Jack Flack, must keep the cartridge safe at all costs and out of the hands of the vile agents who want to end his life. A young Luke witnesses the horrifying aftermath of a mass shooting in his nearby coffee shop. Among the onlookers of this gruesome scene, Luke meets Daniel, a boy about his age who becomes his best friend, even though no one but Luke can see him. Now, in college, Luke looks to the imaginary Daniel to help him overcome his fears and anxiety. But at what price? Thank you for listening to the Grindhouse Institute. Please enjoy.
1: My name's Dowd Elwood P. Hey, let me, uh, let me give you one of my cards. I, if you should ever want to call me, call me at this number. Don't call me at that one. That's, that's the old one.
0: Hello, everybody. (laughs) Come on, can't be serious. You coming? Not for you, are gonna be embarrassing. All right, welcome back to the Grindhouse Institute. I am Brian Foster. With me, as always, Jeremy Floyd. How are you?
1: Howdy. Uh, Doing all right.
0: Howdy. I love it. Uh, Did I give you one of my cards? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Uh, We have a very special episode today, as every episode is special from what I'm gathering from my introductions. Uh, We have a triple feature for you, and this this was one that kind of popped into my head. I think I was watching um, part of one of the films that we're talking about today, And I was like, wow, there's this is kind of a genre and we should probably focus on this. So Mm. we're going to be focusing on films that are um, mainly about imaginary friends Um, on the surface level. They're imaginary friends. Let's say that. But, uh, you know, the way that the stories work, each one of these movies, they have um, the elements of an imaginary friend. The protagonist has an imaginary friend who we follow, who we see. Um, Usually the um, other people that are in the film, um, other characters do not see this person. um, But overall, there is always this divide, whether or not this imaginary creature is alive, dead, or um, a spirit. Um, But there's always that mixture at the end of a lot of these films where we don't know if it really did exist, and we kind of get the inkling that it did, um, or that it was a real thing. Um, So the three films that we're talking about today, um, Jimmy Stewart's Harvey, Um, about the giant six-foot rabbit imaginary friend um, (laughs) with Jimmy Stewart. Um, Cloak and Dagger, which stars uh, from E.T., and Dabney Coleman, who's I love Dabney Coleman, um, but also um, Henry Thomas. Henry Thomas, right, right. Elliot. Elliot, yeah, exactly. And um, Dabney Coleman, who I think around this time was in absolutely every
1: movie um, around, yeah, the 80s around this time. Um, man, and, I, I have to say real quick that yeah. uh, when I was first watching, it, I was like, "Oh man, that Major Dad! He's playing the same role he had <laughs> in uh, in Neverending Story." <laughs> it's and it's, it's it wasn't him. It was yeah. it was the other Major Dad, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: and then the third film we have today is Daniel Isn't Real, uh, which is a newer film. I believe it came out two three years ago um and it's no, uh, it it came out last december oh yeah it's, i figured it was very recent um yeah. which is uh definitely a, d- a departure from the first two films that we're talking about here um but we're getting a great perspective on um how different writers and different directors have portrayed
1: these um imaginary friends on on film yeah no that that was uh it was an interesting mixing uh the and they almost followed the same structure beat by beat which is that like very much so act it's uh this guy is just crazy and the imaginary friend isn't real whatsoever and by the third act in every single one of them multiple characters outside of the crazy one has seen or uh, interacted with the the uh, imaginary friend exactly um and then there were some beat points that
0: were exactly the same i mean Harvey um, had an element where a portrait was painted, and the the rabbit that was with him is painted oh, yeah. with with him. And in, yeah, right. Yeah, oh, right, yeah. In Daniel isn't real. It's the same thing. Um, so you know, we can get into those kinds of things. But I think that there were a lot of a lot of moments that were touched on in each of these films that are you know common throughout them. Um, and you know, I mean, let's talk about the obvious. A lot of these um, storylines are all about uh, schizophrenia. Uh, mental mm-hmm. illness i mean i really mm-hmm. think that that's the underlying tone of all these but you know and and i think loneliness also uh plays into um yeah. a big part of these um especially cloak and dagger um so yeah right, well right. let's start with harvey what what did you think was this the first time you've seen harvey
1: yeah it was uh you know i was aware of harvey i was aware of like more or less the log line of harvey yeah uh and the uh and the poster it's always that, the, exactly the shadow that. yeah yeah, the, the yeah, the, the sort of revisionist poster or the, um the the I don't know what, re-release poster, home video poster where it's Jimmy Stewart uh looking wistfully at a at a shadow. Yeah, exactly. And um yeah, I was uh I was you know pretty surprised uh how the movie uh progressed or I it it, s- it seemed to go in one direction and then kind of left you in a different one by the end. Yeah. I, I thought it was going to be more of a comedy all the way through, and it it actually yeah. it, it it wasn't, uh, which was interesting.
0: Not really. Um, it's kind of it's almost a comedy in the way that uh, it's a wonderful life is a comedy. It's it's very tragic mm. uh, in many ways, and it's it's a bit dark.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. I was kind of surprised how how surprisingly dark it was. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, so Elwood Dowd, who's uh Elwood P. Dowd, Elwood who's P. our Dowd. yeah, who's Jimmy Stewart's character is um. He's a 42-year-old man. He's um, a brother of, um, I think, Myrtle? No, Myrtle? No, that was the name of his uh-huh. sister, I believe. Well,
1: Vida. Vida, right? yeah. Or Myrtle exactly. May?
0: Myrtle May and Vida. Yeah, those are the, <laughs> that's who she, he lives with, uh, his family. Um, so uh, they, they think he's absolutely crazy because he is going around talking about um, that he's being followed around by his best friend, Harvey, who's this invisible six-foot-tall rabbit, six-foot-three rabbit. Um, and no one can see him um's about three and a half I believe I believe so, yeah, exactly um <laughs> so because he's such a in their mind kind of crazy uh he's kind of driving away all of the the family's friends and they they can't have any you know normal family and friend time because people are just kind of creeped out by this this odd character who keeps saying that there's an invisible person in the room invisible monster in the room, really, when you think yeah. about it. <laughs> Especially when you see the picture of it yeah, the later, painting, like that's yeah.
1: scary as hell. Yeah. I I think uh, you know this movie and Daniel isn't real uh, have a you know a real head to head situation with you know who has the more creepier painting. I mean, yeah, the, the one in Harvey was just horrifying. It really was, and and I'm I'm thinking that
0: if you put all three of these films together, you basically have Donnie Darko's um, apocalyptic bunny <laughs> rabbit that comes out and tells. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so there's, you know, some interesting things in Harvey I wanted to bring up. Um, you know, we get a little bit of, he, so Dowd is a really nice guy and, um, he almost mm-hmm. seems a little bit too sweet. Almost, you know, it seems like he's a bit on the spectrum, um, when I think mm-hmm. about how he, how he acts and like his, his positivity and he's very close minded or not closed minded, but very focused when he's speaking to, you know, one person, whenever you'd speak to. Was her name Miss Kelly or um, Yeah, Miss Kelly, right? Mister
1: Dowd, L. P. Here, uh, let me give you one of my cards.
0: Uh, Mister Dowd, I'm Miss Kelly. I'm at the reception desk downstairs.
1: Oh, I'm happy to know you, Miss Kelly.
0: Miss Kelly, yeah. And so, you know, there was these moments where you felt like, well, he's, you know, he's just kind of in his own head, and and I think in many ways there is a bit of autism there.
1: Um, at least it would be maybe touched on in a current version of this. Maybe I, you know, that's where I thought they were going uh at, at the beginning you know at the the way it opens with their sort of uh, stately victorian manner uh also the way that uh jimmy Stewart's um sister is dressed uh yeah. which oh, okay by the way jimmy stewart's sister I, the whole time it was i thought it was like a a deep fake of Rip Torn in a dress like it, she looks so much like Rip torn, it was so weird um but uh yeah. <laughs> May I ask why you felt little Tiffany deserved to die? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so they we, we start off in this this um, uh, you know this Victorian manor like it doesn't even look like it's 1950, which is when the movie uh, was released. You know it 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 looks like it it could have been uh, in the sort of late 1800s. Uh, you know it it feels a little like you know Rebecca or. Um, you know, one of those, uh, you know, a portrait of Dorian Gray, almost, um, yeah, you know, type of a gothic madness, a Uh, hammer, a hammer film or something, yeah. Yeah. And, um, what was interesting was that, like, it seemed like that's what they were were going for was that, you know, he was on the spectrum, um, but he actually sort of explains himself toward the end of the movie that, you know, he had this epiphany and, and decided to just be totally open and, you know, have this thing. And, you know, his, uh, wealth and whatever else allowed him to act that way because he doesn't have to work and then you know he doesn't do anything he just kind of he just goes to the bar and, you know, goes, goes to, goes the, to bar the bar every day
0: two two martinis every day he yeah. says at least find, <laughs> finds
1: random people invites them over for dinner yeah. and you know that's uh what what you can do um in that situation but he um he essentially explains his his mindset or whatever and like you know when he was talking to the the, the head uh Psychiatrist, or or whatever it was, of that uh, Dr. Chumley? institution, Doctor Chumley. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, that he um, in explaining his uh, his mindset, he sort of pulls Chumley in uh, to that mindset as well, and it's it's an interesting effect because they they don't quite land either way. Is it just that he has this mindset? and this thing is real? Or did he, like, infect Dr. uh, Chumley with his madness or whatever?
0: Right. And then, you know, watching, and I don't mean to jump past Cloak and Dagger, but watching Daniel, it's like, now is this imaginary creature now, like you said, infecting him, and now is he going to terrorize him for the rest of his life and make him go to Charlie's bar every day and drink martinis? Um, (laughs) Obviously, Daniel is a little bit different um, in terms of tone, um, but... I, I really, I, I agree with you fully. Um, I think that um, I, I was a little confused as to whether Harvey b- before the very ending of the film, obviously, but I was confused whether or not the doctor just kind of opened himself up to believing in a Harvey in like yeah. that kind of motivational spirit that you might have that is making you do nice things or like, um, you know, it's almost like a good side of your conscience and maybe he was opening himself mm-hmm. up to it and he, he accepted that as well. Um, because, you know, he has a little bit of a transformation, the doctor. You know, obviously, when he sees Harvey, he, you know, the, the doctor that he fired originally he brings him back. And, like, he has this big right. change of heart. He wants to go to Akron, Ohio, I guess, to, <laughs> to go in this, this beautiful right. cabin with the maple trees and all that. Um,
1: Pause time.
0: Well, because, yeah, we find out that Harvey has powers, right? That, that Harvey can look at a clock and stop time, bring you to wherever you want to go in any time for as long as you want come back and not a minute has passed on the clock. I thought that was interesting, but they didn't really, they didn't really delve into that. Did they,
1: they explained that it is a a thing, uh, that exists. I mean, I, I guess, you know, we have to take Jimmy Stewart's word for it because we we didn't actually see that, uh, now manifest. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because the movie, what, like it definitely comes down on the side that, uh, Harvey is real in the sense that everyone, everyone else uh, seems to see him, like things do sort of happen magically, like you know, the door closes on its own, or, or it's like you know locked on one side and then not on the other, and the coin purse appears yeah, out of nowhere. Right. Yeah. So, I guess there were some sort of uh, objective uh, places where mm-hmm. Harvey had manifested. Um, so, I mean, it it definitely seems like that the movie had had chosen that route for what the reality was although you know it it does feel like uh at least some of this could be that the uh the madness is catching yes uh, sort of sort of uh possibility anyway but it was it was definitely a pretty interesting movie i think had maybe they shaved uh some of the stuff with the you know the younger doctor and miss kelly down uh, that kind of felt like it wasn't going anywhere, and then it, it turned yeah. out not to go anywhere. It didn't go know. anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they,
0: they he did he did set them up together, um, and I guess that was kind of his mission was to get them together, those two, um, in a way. But uh-huh. that that was kind of it was kind of in passing. He just he's like, "Do you want to dance? Oh yeah. Well, well, I don't dance anymore. Maybe you two should dance." And that's kind of the end of their relationship. I mean, we see them later, but that was like the the only moment that we see that he set them up.
1: Perhaps you'd like to dance, Miss Kelly. All right, Mr. Dowd, if you'd like to. Oh, n- not I. I. I'm sure Dr. Sanderson would love to dance to somebody as lovely as you. Um, So I guess he was just doing yeah. a good deed in that instance? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, and that could have been part of his character and everything, and that's fine. It just, you know, there was this whole thing where Miss Kelly was uh, sort of magnetically attracted to Jimmy Stewart, and then... Um, you know but then there was this weird tension between her and the younger doctor very weird tension that you know sort of ended up going nowhere or like <laughs> you know we had a, we had a scene with them you know when he thought he was fired and <laughs> i just came to say goodbye <laughs> yeah, yeah like, I, uh, I guess you're not going to miss me then i'm not going to yeah. miss you as at all it was like whoa where did that come from dick for some reason <laughs> uh and you know, anyway, it's just like, you know, it, it it seems like some of that, you could have, you know, trimmed the fat on that a little bit and kind of, you know, made the movie a little tighter. But, um, you know, overall, it I think it worked really well and, and kept you going.
0: I think a big piece that they kind of missed out on in terms of, you know, having a good, I guess Hitchcock called it the MacGuffin, that that item that's always in, in the mm-hmm. movies, you know, mm-hmm. um, in this one, it would be Formula 977, which is that, <laughs> you know, that serum that they were going to give him that's... Well, um, it
1: was like a, a cocktail of different drugs that they're going to. Yeah, exactly. I, with?
0: What I'm assuming is it's kind of like an opiate and it, it like dumbs you down, almost like a heroin um, uh-huh. at the time or a morphine. Um, but it, it feels it, we get all that information of what they do there at that at that office from the cab driver, who is a character that oh, is introduced right, right. so much later down the line. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're like, oh, people go in here and they come out. Not the same. You know, yeah. I used to go watch sunsets with them and now they're just become normal assholes like <laughs> everyone else. And it was like, uh, so what is this formula? You know, and I think that that might've been, you know, that I, I think now with like current writing and stuff, that would probably be a little bit more of an important piece that maybe, you know, an evil doctor is trying to, you know, prevent, uh, Harvey from becoming real or, or something like that by, you know, keeping, uh, the person at bay with this formula, 97, 977 or something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I uh, overall it's a sweet film. Jimmy Stewart again is kind of a, a, a like a scene stealer, I think, or, or a, a movie stealer. I think he just has no. really good lines and um, he he just delivers them really well. He just seems like a really really sweet guy in this, and um, obviously that's it's it's an interesting take. Um, by the end, though, yeah, we see a lot of physicality um, with you know what Harvey's actually touching or bumping into or sitting on or things like that and it's just more and more things are starting to move without us seeing somebody move them and it's like they kind of like rampart that at the end he
1: manifests a lot more to the audience as you know he starts to appear to some of the uh, characters as it it goes on yeah and I I think you're right like the casting of uh, Jimmy Stewart here uh, is a sort of a perfect one because you know he's a really hard uh, person to hate uh, or like be be annoyed with, uh, you know, where in the beginning in particular, when he's, you know, just so uh, bizarre and he's like constantly seems like he's not listening and all this kind of stuff. Like if he was cast differently, you could imagine uh, it would be harder for the audience to want to go on this ride with him you know? Yes, I agree. I
0: like the, the move that he would consistently do is he'd be walking with him with his arm on here and then he'd always switch sides with them. Like oh you should yeah. go over here and it was just like a very natural <laughs> thing to do. Right. I thought that was that was really sweet. Um, so I thought what was interesting is when we find out how um, Dowd actually meets Harvey and he explains to Doctor Chumley what how that happened. And it was just um, between what 18th and 19th Street on Fairfax, I think he said where, where oh, this right, all happened right. th- at the corner when he put his his drunk friend who was mixing gin and rye into a cab. And uh, once he sent his friend away, he saw a giant bunny rabbit, you know, tall. Uh, I guess you know, personified bunny rabbit standing on a on a the street lamp, just like waiting for him or, or waiting to meet him. And he says, "Well, what's your name?" And he's like, "Well, what name do you like? You know, I like the name Harvey. Right. Um, you know, so well, that's interesting because that's my name too. I, I thought that was that was a pretty interesting way to to bring it about, but I still don't understand exactly where Harvey came from.
1: Well, you know, I, the explanation they give multiple times in the movie is that he's this uh, he's a puka, which is a, you know, uh a Celtic myth uh a Celtic myth, uh what do you call it? Um a creature from Celtic mythology. There you go. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh and it uh, you know, it has these sort of uh magical powers as uh, as we see demonstrated in Things like supposedly being able to stop time and then, you know, uh, being invisible and and walking through doors and all this kind of stuff. And maybe this is I I wonder if this is like limitations of uh, special effects and everything else uh, at the time. But, you know, they they never show him in any way other than maybe the the painting, which uh, you can argue is just an artist having to like humor this uh, eccentric, rich, uh, crazy person uh, for his commission here you know so the the explanations were given are, okay jimmy stewart's um story we just have to take uh we just have to uh, take his word for it exactly
0: and 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 i can accept that you know like i'm i'm fine with that i just think that you know because i'm so um ingrained in origin stories and things like that now in movies <laughs> that i i want i want the full breath i want the flashback scene to go back to where he was Putting this guy in the car and all of a sudden, you know, this giant rabbit appears out of nowhere, yeah. you know. But I guess uh, you're right. That's due to limitations of the, of the time. Yeah.
1: Well, well, but even if, if they maintained the invisibility thing in that flashback, you know. Okay, so he tells the story, but, you know, you don't necessarily need to see it. It's like in um, Night of Living Dead. You know, he, he talks about the, the truck. truck mm-hmm. uh, and, well, there's one way you could do it where you see what happens or... It can just be that he tells a story, uh, which is sort of how Barbara would experience that in Night and uh, how, you know, all the various characters in Harvey would experience Jimmy Stewart's story. So we're kind of seeing this from Chumley's perspective. Well, it, it, it removes us, yeah, from uh, Jimmy Stewart's perspective and is able to sort of keep that ambiguity there. Whereas, like you know, for instance, in Daniel isn't real. Um, we only really see Daniel from uh, Luke or whatever his name was mm-hmm. uh, perspective, of the sort of you know main character, and so um, through that main character's eyes, this is all real, and there's sort of no question that it can't be. Right. Uh, and if you are showing the Jimmy Stewart character in the in sort of the third person this way. Uh, you just have to take his word for it, or like you know, there's that wiggle room where the story could or could not be happening the way he's describing it. You know. And again, would you be able to take anyone's word for
0: it if it wasn't Jimmy Stewart? <laughs> right? Yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. Jimmy Stewart. I, I'm purple and I have three heads. I believe you. You know, like very good. The, I, I guarantee you. <laughs> right do. on, man.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, to to switch gears a bit, um, going in the cloak and dagger, um, we we're introduced to the um to the imaginary character through like this almost spy adventure film at the beginning of the movie, that that opening that they've got Um, when we find out that um, this opening, which is basically a James Bond type situation, um, a guy named Jack Flack, who's a secret agent uh, parachutes down into, you you know, what's funny
1: the the whole time I kept hearing (laughs) Jack Black (laughs) and I was like, Oh, that's funny. Uh, You know, and this is before, you know, I don't know if he was famous or, you know, an actor or anything. He and was then, still doing uh, Atari commercials at the time. Was he really?
0: Just last night, I was lost in the jungle with Pitfall Harry, surrounded by giant scorpions and man eating crocodiles. Do you, have, you, have you seen that old commercial no. with Jack Flack? Okay, well, <laughs> well, we'll that, have that sure would have that. tied
1: into we'll uh, sure this sure game <laughs> with all the Atari shit. <laughs> Ex-
0: exactly. Or the, yeah. this
1: movie, I mean. But um, <laughs> anyway, and then I saw in the credits that it was Jack Flack, and I was like, oh, they were saying <laughs> Flack the whole time.
0: Flack, yeah.
1: Anyway. Uh, Jack Flack um is a, a
0: spy played by Dabney Coleman. Um he goes and infiltrates this giant mansion. Clearly there's some nefarious operations going on inside. Very very James Bondish.
1: Yeah, it, it looked like a you know Soviet embassy or something. Right, yes. And
0: we we find out um as he's chased down by giant uh twenty sided dice um that this is actually a board game that they're playing <laughs> called Cloak and yeah. Dagger. Um I thought that was a really cool transition. Um, I, I thought that, that it was a nice intro to who, um, you know, who this Jack Flack character is. But it also gives you um, how detailed of a of a of an imagination that this boy uh, Davy, I believe Davy, um, how he what he has in terms of his, uh, you know, the level of uh, how deep his imagination goes to to make sure that he's he's also a spy and is just as cool as Jack Black.
1: Right. Yeah, and it's um, it was an interesting reveal that. Uh the, you know, person that he sees his imaginary friend and all this stuff is uh sort of superhero version of his father. Exactly. But, you know, th- this one too, kind of like what I was just describing with Daniel Isn't Real, um, doesn't give you much of an option to whatever, not see Jack Flack as being real, right? It's he's like, in every scene. He's in every scene. He's, you know, we're, we're experiencing this all from uh Elliot's point of view and you know whenever something's going wrong uh he consults with his his imaginary friend and we see him um you know that was I guess that that kind of interesting thing about Harvey is like even if they could have done uh the special effects six foot three and a half inch uh rabbit uh which ironically would have been shorter than uh the Jimmy Stewart <laughs> um Jimmy Stewart would have been looking down at Harvey yeah, the whole time yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, they they should have made him uh, yeah, a seven-foot Seven rabbit. Feet. Yeah, exactly. Not, uh, At least. Too tall. But, um, you know, if, if we had seen it in Harvey, you know, it would have made it harder to have that um, reading that, oh, Harvey doesn't exist, right? Whereas in Cloak and Dagger and, and Daniel, because we see these uh, imaginary friends and the, these, uh, we see the, them personified, and because it's from the main character's Perspective the whole time, you know. If we had seen it from Elliot's best friend, uh, the sassy uh, <laughs> little chick, uh, from her, like going from you know not believing to believing and all this sudden kind of stuff, it might have been more along the lines of Harvey. But because it's it's from Elliot's perspective the whole time, it is uh, very clearly that that this guy exists and like the, the movie wants you to believe that he, he exists or whatever. It, it does. There's no alternate reading. is what I'm trying to say with
0: um the difference being um, is that Jack couldn't um, touch anything he couldn't actually yeah. help help um Elliot or help Davy with any of his problems
1: that's true that that's what separates this from the other two movies for sure exactly
0: yeah. He could only coach him through stuff um the The only time he was interacted or could interact with the world is when he's shot at the end, um obviously metaphorically shot, <laughs> you know right. Davy's kind of giving up on this imaginary hero and then understanding that he himself you know has the power inside of him to do this you know, without the help of Jack Flack.
1: Well, he has the, the power inside of him to uh, infect Michael Murphy with his madness, I guess. Because, <laughs> Michael <laughs> Murphy. Yeah, that guy uh, goes and, like, um, yeah, yeah. Turns, the, turns the gun on the empty wall or whatever. <laughs>
0: exactly. So I was, I was, even, you know, as a kid, I was confused by that, and watching this again for this podcast, I was confused. He did see him, right? He does kind of materialize in front of the wall
1: yeah for sure uh and that was one of the things that like kind of blew da- davy's mind at, at that point too, yeah. where he was just like well wait what <laughs> yeah yeah he's like i thought you thought you were mine <laughs> yeah i mean i guess this one too is distinct cloak and dagger is distinct from the other two movies because he interacts with uh jack flack but um doesn't you know, sort of believe that he's a real person. You know, he, he he knows that he's imaginary. It's his motivation, if anything. Yeah.
0: Trying to kill us. I
1: can't kill me. Can't see me.
0: You can kill me.
1: Not if you're good enough.
0: And it's just more of an inspiration to him, based on you know the games and the storylines that he's been reading, and the the arcade yeah. game that he or the Atari game that he was playing. Um, and speaking of the Atari game, um, obviously as a gamer, this really excited me as a kid that they were playing video games and like that was where the secret code was for um oh, right. something
1: right um also but by, by the way to get to the sort of uh, yeah you know MacGuffin secret uh government uh spy stuff you gotta play the game you had to play the game and win you had to do
0: really <laughs> well in the game and it looked like a really difficult game yeah you know um,
1: even uh even the i don't know what it was the the other criminal from raisin arizona i can't remember his name yeah william uh, bill forsyth Forsyth, yeah. yeah. Uh, even he was having trouble doing it. He was, you know, playing the comic book guy it. from The Simpsons, and like he was like, he had to really hack hard to get he, to the center of that one. Which is like, okay, well, which <laughs> yeah. uh, agency? You know, which old man? Like the the old man um, who turned out to be sort of the main bad guy in this. Who well, the whole time he, it was, I was I was I was like, who is that? Who is that? And, it, and he was the sheriff in Psycho. I, I was uh, going to say is what I was thinking. This of, was but.
0: this was a very very Hitchcock. Um, so. First of all, visually, I think um, *Cloak and Dagger* looked like Hitchcock. There were some shots down the stairs and things like mm. that that were were very Hitchcock. Also, this these are the people from *The Man Who Knew Too Much*. It's it's the the older couple, right, that they meet that yeah. are so sweet and so so perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. Th- the
1: Draytons—they're
0: the ones that had the the missing fingers on the hand and all that stuff. I thought that was really yeah. really that great was, reveal.
1: Uh, straight out of uh, 39 Steps*. Speaking of Hitchcock, exactly. Yeah.
0: And I think that shot was from that too. Down the down the stairs, it's all square. They did it in M, oh, and they brought I, I, it back. I know in, what you're about. Yeah, yeah.
1: But anyway, you know what I was gonna say was like, you know, there's no, there's almost no way that uh, the, the you know the sheriff from Psycho would have been able to play this game and beat it to get to the secret. It's like <laughs> it's kind of a funny. <laughs> but also, this old guy's
0: just carrying around a, one Atari cartridge in his in his yeah. photo bag in his camera bag. Right, right. <laughs> Oh, so you've got a camera and, oh, this Atari game. Yeah, you must be yeah. fine, yeah. yeah. But no Atari. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought, you know, watching this again, um, I did not like it as much as I liked it when I was a kid. Um, I guess... <laughs> <don't> uh say. <laughs> there, there Yeah, there was... It, it just felt so, like, dry and and, and and there wasn't much that happened. You know, there were a few yeah, action pieces, it, but nothing really happened. The, the pacing, uh, yes.
1: you know, needed some help. But, man, you know, there's a lot of good stuff in there. I I really like the little girl. I'm having
0: my breakfast. I'll call you back later. Is he always like that? Usually. Doesn't it drive you crazy?
1: Nah. He's the only boy in the neighborhood who isn't boring.
0: Well, what's his father like?
1: Forget it. He's not your type. She was great. Yeah. Yeah, as the, I don't know what, the really sassy and ball-breaking, you know, <laughs> down-to-earth and skeptical <laughs> sidekick to... Elliot's you know uh, she was insane. the grounder right <laughs> Yeah, she brought him back yeah. to
0: reality brought us back to reality I think you know in many instances it was kind of well it was always from his perspective but if it would have been from hers I think that it's still been a strong movie to have him on uh, you know her trying to follow him and be like all right I'll go with what you want to do because I like you but right right very strange person yeah
1: but you're you're, <laughs> you're nuts dude yeah exactly it, it, that would that would be interesting if uh if you were to do this one again
0: I think we've mentioned I've or at least I have mentioned a remake of every one of the films that we've watched. <laughs> Apparently, all I uh-huh. want to do is
1: remake movies. yeah, I guess so <laughs> Ugh, I'm okay with that you're hard up for ideas uh, but uh, just like Hollywood yeah, there you go <laughs> uh, but but also what was what was interesting about this movie is uh you know that it takes place in San Antonio and it really features uh sort of the river yes. walk and like sort of the beautiful you know, yeah. You know that's something that's like one of those cities you just you know it's, you don't see it in films uh very often and it was kind of a refreshing to, to see it. I agree, see it like you know, have the city become kind of a character, it really uh, was. And having it be like you know, not okay, New York, Chicago, LA, you know, like the San Francisco, it's like these you know, main cities that you know are in tons of movies. Uh, it's sort of a you know, whatever, tertiary bigger city uh and it it you know made for an interesting setting and great locales
0: i i thought yeah. the, the river walk alone was was beautifully shot there was a really cool scenes there and they they returned to that a few times in that film obviously because it photographed so well i think yeah yeah, yeah. um you know i think this this story really lends itself to you know Davy filling a void and um you know he he's wants to see his dad as a hero. This is kind of my interpretation. He really mm-hmm. wants to see his dad as the next hero that's going to kind of show him the way because he's the only one left. His mom's gone now. He doesn't have any more guidance, so he, you know, kind of yeah. he, he transforms this extreme superhero in Jack Flack into his into his dad who's, you know, Jack Flack is just a little figure or just some little cartoon character on the right, screen, right. but you know, he fleshed it out in his head to you know, make it more something personal. And I, I thought that was very sweet.
1: Yeah, I know that was cool. And I think, um, just going back a second to the idea of a, a remake or whatever, it turns out this movie was a remake. It was based on a Cornell Woolrich short story who, you know, did a ton of uh, pulp stories. Uh, and it was originally filmed in the uh, late 40s, uh, and it was called The Window. So it might be an interesting one to watch uh, later on sometime. Uh, uh, It was a film noir version of this story. So this is a, you know, totally uh, uh, reconstituted version of like, okay, well, let's take this film noir pulp story and turn it into something for, uh, you know, from a kid's perspective or whatever. And it
0: still was very film noir and for a kid's movie, quite violent and, (laughs) I mean, pretty scary, you know. um, Chrissy and I were watching this together, and she's like, "That, th- these are some pretty freaky moments. I mean, there's a lot of killing on screen. There's a lot of threatening of a kid's life on multiple yeah. occasions, and it's it's a tough movie. It's probably the scariest kids movie I think I've ever seen, other than, you know, like the Dark Crystal or something, which just looks weird. But this was right. genuinely, or, like, scary in parts.
1: Yeah, or, you know, Everton's story it was pretty yeah. disturbing, I guess, in parts that was around this time.
0: But that's got creatures. This this was
1: like yeah, that's true. just an 80s looking movie, but <laughs> yeah. it was just, no, this like a... we're going to kill you, kid. We've got, yeah, this, exactly. we got your no, friends. Like <laughs> three adults are like, trying to like <laughs> you know, hunt and murder this kid the whole time. And they can't get him. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and, and you're right. And, and it's not like, you know, yeah, exactly. There's that remove that you have in something like Never Ending Story and Dark Crystal where it's like, okay, well, you clearly know that this they're puppets, puppets and yeah. this stuff isn't real. <laughs> and Right. You know, when you walk outside and... You, you know you're not seeing that kind of stuff whereas if you're walking outside here you know any sort of uh adult could be someone uh wanting to kill you you know even the from, nice old um, couple that sits behind yeah, you on the tour yeah, bus you yeah, know exactly
0: and then how yeah. that guy kept switching seats to sit closer to him i'm like is yeah. this not obvious to everyone what yeah. this guy's trying yeah, to yeah. do right now like yeah and he kept taking I, I the next one over <laughs> the old lady is like he looks like a pervert <laughs> I was
1: gonna bring that up I got a note
0: <laughs> that part cracked me up yeah. um, but you know overall you know I think that pacing aside and stuff I think it had a nice story um, definitely fits within this uh, podcast or at least this block um, very well and I think that you know we can unless you had anything else to say about Cloak and Dagger um, we could probably move on to Daniel it's common for people to see things that aren't real I imagined
1: dude, I can make you go away well,
0: then you might as well cut your own head off. Um, now, quite a different film from Harvey and Cloak and Dagger. Um, Daniel, um, which is, uh, it's the second outing from a horror director, um, Adam Egypt Mortimer. Um, and I'm blanking on his first film. But this was uh, produced by um, Elijah Wood's company, SpectraVision.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and um, they've been putting out a lot of movies um, that are in this uh, genre, the horror genre, psychological genre. Um, they just did Color Out of Space, things like that, and this definitely fits within their their wheelhouse of, of types of titles that they're creating. Um, I, I really, really enjoyed this movie. Um, I thought it was excellent. Uh, I thought uh, visually stunning. I thought effects-wise it was great. I thought the performances were fantastic, and um, I really I enjoyed this one thoroughly. I, I don't know how you feel of it.
1: Yeah, I didn't know what to expect. I uh, hadn't heard of the movie. Um, in fact, I I tried to stay away from looking at it because I wanted to kind of go into it pretty fresh. Uh, yeah, and I, I definitely see you know the uh, the Spectre vision um, uh, you know stamps there like just even from the poster right. It has that sort of uh, you know neon pink and blue uh exactly yep you know and also the way it starts with the sort of uh cosmic horror the hp lovecraft uh yeah. you know um i don't know what the, that. the, the black, sort of black hole, hole. Or, right yeah. yeah
0: the singularity whatever that is well, yeah, <laughs> which
1: yeah. i i thought for sure like uh i was like okay this is interesting this is not where i thought this was going to be and then it like uh sort of tries to transition into the coffee mug, and it didn't quite come together uh, transition-wise. <laughs> I uh, but... that was pretty smooth. <laughs> well, you didn't I, like... I, I, I thought it was going to be more like, okay, it's going to turn into the cream of the coffee, but then it was like, I don't know, a, a <laughs> foamy cappuccino or something from a second wave coffee place. Um, d- did we ever come back to the coffee place, by the way? Uh, well, I mean, in a way, because he
0: was searching out who he saw. Oh. Uh, and, and so he he made his way back there because that's like the the incident right the, the uh-huh. inciting incident to get him infected by Daniel was seeing this brutal murder that occurred uh, uh, you know inside this coffee shop out of nowhere uh huh I, I see um and so like that was kind of our intro and he does I guess they don't actually return there inside but they do return there through you know
1: the newspaper clippings and things like that so it does make a return gotcha yeah, yeah. no I I I hadn't quite put that together I for some reason I thought they were gonna come back to it because it was. Clearly like a cold open, and then they went to um, uh, Luke or whatever his name was uh, as a young kid. I was also, I, I was very disoriented, I, I'd say, in the first, you know, 30 minutes of the movie. Because when we get to what becomes the sort of present, you know, when Luke is a you know late teen, early 20s uh, college student, you know, it more or less uh, is, I don't know what's supposed to be now. But when he is a kid, it looks like now, and then when we first get to him as a as a young man, you know, we we see him at this uh, enchantment under the sea dance, <laughs> but it looks like the '90s. So I don't know. It, it was very uh, it it was it was very disorienting. Like the the past looked like the present, and the present looked like the past. And it was <laughs> oh, interesting. I, you know, I didn't even see
0: that. Yeah, I didn't catch up on that.
1: I was kind of like wondering where we were in time, and you know. You know, maybe it didn't, um, maybe it wasn't that important, but it, it, maybe, and maybe it was just a production design thing. I, I don't know. But like where we were in time, like was disoriented at first. Also, um, it's funny how aesthetically speaking, like especially when we get to that first flashback where, you know, Luke's uh, parents are uh, arguing and uh, divorcing or whatever, uh, you know, it, it's, it's shot with that sort of, you know, this really cold, um you know david fincher look very um, much so very sort of removed and and we have a couple of vignettes of him as a little kid playing with his imaginary friend and in some of those scenes what you felt like you really wanted was sort of that thing that um you know that that carpenter always nails which is being able to have it be creepy and sort of sunny and nostalgic at the same time right so it's like you know when you're when you're talking about the opening of halloween either the cold open with like the one or the introduction of sort of laurie and her story or if you're talking about like you know uh prince of darkness you know both of those you have sort of these uh sunny and idyllic uh settings for everything whether that's the usc campus or um sort of the uh you know haddonfield illinois or halloween night actually it's south pasadena but whatever right the (laughs) uh, um you know, it keeps that sunny and idyllic feel, but also keeps it really creepy. And that allows you, I feel like, to be lulled into, you know, getting into these characters a little better. Whereas with this, like, cold clinical remove uh, that this movie has, I felt, well, I'm just kind of uh, clinically observing these, uh, these you know, specimens in a, in a Petri dish. Interesting. And it didn't have that place to connect... Uh, in that same way. Plus, there was never any
0: lull, right? Like it was all pretty dark, and it was all pretty depressing. There wasn't much of a. There were some happy moments, I guess, but
1: I, I don't. I, well, well that, that's kind of the thing is with that that style, with that um, you know, Fincher coldness uh, style, it felt very you know flat, if, yeah. you know One one note. It was it was it didn't uh, kind of ebb and and flow and build toward uh like sort of have a low level horror and build toward you know a, a a peak in horror it was uh it was kind of just like super creepy the whole time and um you wanted to feel that contrast a little more and i feel like um, that
0: could have been easily achieved had daniel's college roommate not been such a scumbag and let me tell you <laughs> yeah let me tell you why like i think yeah. that if those two got along There would have been, you know, a really good um, friendship or bond that was built throughout that, you know, them living together. They're just roommates. They were probably just put together because that's how college
1: admission works. Yeah, yeah, you get uh, luck of the draw or whatever.
0: Right. They they, they become close. They're buddies, you know, whether or not they're extreme best friends, but they hang out or they do stuff together. And then when they bring these girls over to see that change of Daniel shifting and beating the shit out of his roommate as you know, as Daniel, I'm sorry, Luke beating him up at as Daniel, I think that would have been a greater shift, because that ultimately is that climactic moment of the film, when Daniel does take over, or at mm-hmm. least starts to take over. Um, well, he does, because that's when he says, you know, if I'm doing it, you're not cheating. So, you know, let let me let me take over <laughs> for a
1: bit, right, right. In the uh, most disgusting way possible. Yeah, and uh, almost, uh, yeah, it, it that again, like gets into some of that You know, Lovecrafty and body horror, like almost the thing. uh, Absolutely, absolutely. Metamorphosis, Um, but yeah, I I think you're onto something there. I think if because because that was one of the things where it's like okay, so he uh, he unleashes the Hellraiser uh, sort of because one day he's just playing with his teddy bear at his mom's house and is like, "Well, well, what the hell? I'm bored, and and just does it. Whereas if he had been hanging out and accepted by his uh his roommate and they had a friendship and they had a thing and then they had a falling out and then he became more and more isolated and he like retreated back to this uh this imaginary friend uh for that confidence and emotional support uh it would have sort of made more sense you know but i mean the way it happened you know they lock him away in the very beginning and then he sits in there for you know 12 Fifteen years, more or less. I mean, it's it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's quite a while. Um, yeah, and grows with Luke. You know, like and it seemed like you'd want to have a, a, an event in his young adulthood that makes him retreat back into that. And you know, they, they didn't quite get it there. All he did was go visit his
0: mom. It seemed like for. Like, just right. from school. He was just kind of yeah. going to visit her. But I don't think they really
1: gave that. And, and then, you know, she's, like, comically insane or whatever. Like, <laughs> I didn't want to see myself. And yeah. Like, okay. I, I, okay.
0: I, I, I thought it was a little over the top. There were some good moments from her. But I, I, I was hoping. And I, and I, I think like, that They're like, w- listen,
1: just do Jack Nicholson from The Shining, but <laughs> more.
0: I think that's kind of what it was, right? And I yeah. think that. Um, Wendy, I said, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains it, Bash your fucking. Ra- bash your brains right um, the fuck. I think that they were using her as kind of the uh, the wool to pull over your eyes to say, oh, he's got, you know, um, he's schizophrenic, just like she is, or at least, you know, another mental illness that he's got passed on through genes, genetics, um, you know, that he's now dealing with, but he's dealing with something else. But in fact, Daniel, Daniel is real. Daniel is some sort. (laughs) He calls himself a traveler. He's, um, you know, he says for for for, you know, hundreds of years or centuries, he's been helping people along and to, you know, jump inside these, you know, people as kind of like their, their Sherpa, if you will, to basically do nasty shit, really. You know, one of the first person we see is he blows an entire coffee shop away, you know? And like, that's how we're introduced in many ways to Daniel or to what his, you know,
1: powers can do. Yeah. And, and, and his like influence. Yeah. And it's, um, he's the, uh, you know, the sort of, uh, you know, the, the devil on your shoulder or whatever it's uh it's most literally too i mean he's yeah. definitely well, it, a demon right and it, it 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 acts sort of like the exorcist where it's like you know <laughs> you know the demon jumps from reagan to the the priest at the end um but yeah and, and then if he had had that falling out and then like you know daniel helps him uh you know get his uh mojo back or whatever um you know you'd sort of be into it and then then when it it uh, crashes again um and crashes even harder uh it would be you know it'd be sort of more tragic in that sense and then you know you'd you'd be into this the uh like what happens i you know it's funny because like it felt like at that point you're talking about the uh why don't you tag team me in here buddy and we'll we'll switch bodies and that was i don't know what an hour into it sure like the game was sort of over at that point and like and it kind of had a long way to go and it felt like um that should have been a bigger decision for him to instead uh,
0: of just in the moment. Uh, but I agree with you. I think that there was like, it was just too easy, right? It's like, okay, now step toward me and I'm going to, you know, suck my face into your <laughs> yeah. face. Yeah. Um, well, it,
1: the decision was too easy. It, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah okay. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: The decision for him to let him suck his face into his own. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know, I, uh, you know, that Daniel uh, is, is Arnold Schwarzenegger's kid. So and I, yeah, I, I well, thought he did
1: pretty well. What's funny is, yeah, that they should have called this movie Nepotism Isn't Real, because yeah, it's uh, Schwarzenegger's <laughs> kid and Tim Robbins' kid. <laughs> yeah. Tim Robbins' kid was the one who looks like uh, Casey Affleck crossbred with Jack White. He looks <laughs> like I didn't know that that was Tim Robbins' kid. Miles Robbins, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, like I said, I didn't know anything about this movie. I didn't recognize the actors when I saw them, but like, um, you know, I saw schwarzenegger in the credits okay well obviously there's no mistaking that name and then i i looked it up and i was like oh well that's also tim he Robbins. was also in halloween uh the the one that was just by david gordon green the recent halloween film oh uh, okay yeah uh, didn't see it and i also didn't see the rob you, zombie one either
0: well let's not talk about the rob zombie one you
1: haven't you <laughs> haven't seen
0: you haven't seen the new halloween
1: no i saw the original halloween and i like it too much and all, oh, I, I, think I, I really imagine l- anything else would be a step down
0: <laughs> no um, well I, I, I don't want to say that it's not but I do want to say that I think you should see that movie because it's a really yeah. well done sequel to that movie
1: sequel it is uh, it, 100% a, a sequel not a, it's not a reboot it's not a remake it, it's a sequel
0: it's, oh, okay. it's a 30 year later or so 40 they,
1: year later sequel they chop off uh, Halloween 2 and then just put this one in its place kind of
0: I don't want to tell you, but they, they, everything is touched on really nicely. It's kind of a side note. Yeah. Um, but I, I think you should definitely see that.
1: Um, yeah. What, uh, were we talking about with this, uh, one we were talking about? Yeah. Like, so, uh, Patrick Schwarzenegger and, uh, Miles Robbins, um, Daniel isn't
0: nepotism or nepotism (laughs) isn't real. You said, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that might be the name of this podcast. Uh,
1: Also, I love, uh, I didn't realize who this was, uh, at first, um, Especially because it was always uh, in those uh, sort of really dark silhouette. Uh, again, that um, that very uh, David Fincher um, look. Backlit. But uh, Luke's mom, I thought it was like I was like, oh man, is this the the uh, low budget uh, Robin Wright? Uh, Robin Wright light. <laughs> <was just> like, <laughs> Mary oh. <laughs> Stuart Masterson. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she has that like that <laughs> sort of look of the uh, House of Cards era Robin Wright. And she has been in a ton of movies. Yeah right? she's she's had quite a career. Yeah. I I, I realized like later that, that uh yeah, she was a, a known quantity, but um I thought it was Robin Wright Pen too. At first I, I had that like <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, get me a, a Robin
0: Wright type. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whatever we can afford. <laughs> <laughs> we have Mary Stuart Masterson. <laughs> yeah. Close enough. Perfect. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, also uh I, I meant to mention this earlier. So we were talking about Cloak and Dagger and how it was a, re- a reveal that uh, we went from the sort of uh, Soviet embassy where he's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you know kicking the ass of this, uh, I don't know what he was, like the sort of Nazi general and uh, the eight foot tall, uh, you know, <laughs> beauty queen. Uh, and then we see the giant eight sided die or whatever uh, rolling in. <laughs> and similarly, in the beginning of this movie, when Daniel is playing swords or whatever, and we see that castle... It looked very similar to how, you know, the sort of, um, you know, three walled set of the D&D dice coming mm-hmm. to life uh, or, you know, the, the fantasy coming to life anyway. Yeah, I agree. It was, it was a pretty interesting connection.
0: And I, I, I thought there were some cool um, other moments like that. You know, obviously that was the first one. There was the sound of the parachute that, 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 that they would shoot out whenever they would do the parachuting. Um, and then whenever Daniel would hold a broom or a shovel or whatever the hell he was, sho- it would become a sword, and oh, it would that right. yeah. actually became sword at the end, and that all came came around at the end. I thought that was really well looped back, you know, because the very beginning of the film is the is the young kid with his young imaginary friend playing make believe swords right, in right. the in the living room, and then that's how the the, uh, the climactic battle with this demon ends, and it kind of has. It had like a, a modern-day uh, medieval mythology kind of feel to it, in my opinion. You know, like the the demon wouldn't be killed by by guns or anything that anything normal, but because right. Daniel could kind of step into this in between of both and see both sides of it, he had the power to to destroy this demon, which he doesn't. Uh, and it, and it, a Luke bit of a tragic it, or, Luke. Yes. Yeah. Uh, sorry not not a very uh, happy um happy go lucky ending by by any means <laughs> yeah um and in many ways you know i i argue that you could look at it by saying daniel was never there luke did have problems and luke did commit suicide at the end um but you know we we don't know i mean we do see daniel at the end who takes the the swan dive off yeah, the off yeah. the building but you know whether or not that, that was you know just stylized or the um, you know, kind of like the the demon leaving Luke now that Luke is dead. I You know, I guess you could look at it in many different interpretations. But um, overall, I thought um, for being a tough movie to end, I thought they did an all right job with it. Yeah. Oh,
1: what's the final shot? It's the melted it, candle wax face uh, demon in the dark or whatever. He's like, I'm the abyss, that guy. He's kind of, yeah, he's becoming that like king demon, whatever that he, is. He looked like in that shot, he looked like the... Um, you got a lot of nerve showing your face around here, guy from uh, Total Recall. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the guy from Breaking Bad? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Dean Norris. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Um, so I had a question. Um when Luke is switches sides with Daniel and Daniel ultimately throws him into the uh the dollhouse. Uh-huh. And we're we're in the dollhouse now, which is clearly, like you said, this Lovecraftian in between worlds cosmic area, this, like, prison. There was a monster inside the dollhouse. Right. With a very similar face to Daniel, but it wasn't Daniel. It was, like, something else. I'm just wondering... I'm wondering what the hell that was. Maybe it was hell. (laughs) Um, But I'm wondering what that actually was or if you had any interpretation of that. Um, Or was it just another shock
1: scene and we needed some action piece in there? Yeah, I, I mean... At that point, I had uh, sort of checked out a little bit. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it was, it was, the movie was getting on my nerves a little bit. But this,
0: the divide between you and I and like our <laughs> love of movies is so great that I think that that's why this podcast is successful. I want, I want to say that. Yay! It's successful. I come in. Daniel isn't real. It's so good. It's got these great scenes. You're just like, I was checked out by
1: about minute forty. <laughs>
0: By the time something really cool happens, I was kind of like out of it.
1: <laughs> well, I, I I was sitting there. Okay, so so right right before that scene, right before he, he gets to the I'm the abyss guy, mm-hmm. and uh, and looks at melted guy from uh, RoboCop. Uh, it, he he wanders through like these like <laughs> medieval castle catacombs, and he's like running down the thing with, with like you know it's with neon. The neon. But, but there's also I love also that look. catacombs. I love it, and it, it looks so much like in the mouth of madness right before the. You know, uh, not so great demons are starting to chase after him, and I was thinking, you know what? I'd rather be watching *In the Mouth of Madness* right now,
0: (laughs) which is shocking to me because you know of of Carpenter's films, that's arguably like the lesser of his great films, and I'm surprised that you actually like *In the Mouth of Madness*. Or are you just saying that you'd prefer it?
1: Uh, Well, yes, (laughs) no, but I, you know, yeah, it's it's one of his lesser of his, you know, still watchable films but But i love it it's only lesser because there are a couple you know problems in the middle which is like once we get the idea that he drives through town and he keeps looping and looping and looping and we do that like 40 times like okay got it like yeah you know uh that that scene in the catacombs that we were just describing in particular the uh the monsters didn't quite work out and you know he didn't uh, turn turn the lights down, uh, you know, enough to like, you know, only give you impressions of them. Um, you know, <laughs> essentially once in the Mouth of Madness, it, once they get to the sort of, uh, you know, demon town Hobbs End, um, that needed to happen like really quickly. And that's fine. And then it would be great to like get him out. You think it's over. He talks to Charlton Heston. And, he, you know, he's like, no, we got to stop this book. We got to stop this book. And he's like, and it's like, it already came out like six months ago. Yeah, you and, missed uh, it. <laughs> he's like, okay, n- nobody reads anymore. Nobody reads. It's okay. He's like, yeah, but the movie's coming movie. out t- today. <laughs> <laughs> and, that's, and, the, and then you have that awesome ending. And you're like, oh, well, it actually
0: it, it kind of worked. But that's all Lovecraft, though, right? That's all falling into madness. And by the end, you are hysterically mad. And I, I just feel like this one didn't go that far into the madness.
1: Yeah, well, and, and it, it gave you this sense of trajectory that Luke was going to be able to fix it or whatever. He's like, I'm going to solve this, right? And he's, he's, it looks like he's busting out of the mind prison. And then, okay, there's the brick wall. And then the bricks start breaking apart. And then, you know, it's but like- that wasn't because of him. That was because of his his girlfriend, right? She was mm-hmm.
0: tearing tearing Daniel down and kind of, with tearing him down, she was breaking down the walls
1: of that mind trap. Yeah, and then- so Luke doesn't have uh, any agency in his own escape there. And then, you know, the the plan is what? Okay, well, you do the, you know, sort of fight club or uh, Exorcist ending, like literally the Exorcist ending. And it kind of was, you know, losing steam at the end there for me. Um, you know, and I think it had also hadn't engaged me in a very interesting way earlier. Because, like, as we were discussing, like, you know, he, did, he didn't have any reason to let Daniel out of the dollhouse in the first place. Uh, it just sort of happened. And it's like, well, we need this to happen here in the script. So that's what's happening. OK, just fucking deal with it. Yeah. The, he should have needed something or really needed something in order
0: to bring him out, because that is the no. most extreme um, decision that he could have made or solution to his problems is to let this Pandora out of her box, you know, or his box. Yeah, exactly yeah and I think that I, I do agree with you I think there should have been something more there and it wasn't just you know that he got home and he was surrounded by his mom's madness in this house and how the house now looks like a dilapidated mess compared to what it looked like before and yeah. you know the mirrors are broken and, and obviously she's going down uh, uh, down into the mouth of madness um, but that I don't think was
1: enough for him to unlock that door yeah Yeah. And I mean, he unlocks it like right after, you know, his mom has an episode and Mm -hmm. then he's just, you know, uh, hanging out on the bed. He's like, well, you can't sleep either. And he's talking to his, you know, teddy bear or whatever. And he's like, yeah, all right, fuck it. And he just like gets up, moves to the other. room. Yeah, I was
0: hope I was hoping there would have been like some more influence from Daniel, although before he is let out of the the dollhouse, you do see Daniel in some reflections. And so yeah. he is, like, it gives you the impression that he might always be with Luke. Luke just needs to be able to open up to him, but he could sure. keep him contained if he didn't, you know, believe in him.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, and, and if if um, if Daniel isn't real, if if it's all Luke, um, and this is just, you know, a different side of Luke, or, or this, uh, the um, Luke's madness, or, or whatever else, um, you know, then the that would be, you know, that metaphor works that way. It's just that, um, you know, he was able to sort of control it or repress it in a certain way. And then, you know, it it would, again, it seems like, you know, if he was in school and had these, you know, uh, this falling out, these stressors or whatever, like all this thing and made him retreat back into, you know, Daniel land, um, it uh, it, it would both work better for the movie in, you know, and that sort of how the plot propels things, and as, and work better for how the you know the the character is developed. Um, one thing that that I thought was interesting between Daniel isn't real and Harvey is that like there's, you know, clearly, um, Luke's mom, uh, you know, is extremely wealthy, living in the brownstones in <laughs> New York City and whatever that is, Chelsea or wherever. Yep. And um, she uh isn't um high stress, uh, you know, uh, wall street finance. It, you know, it's like old money cause she just like sits around and does nothing. But and, she still lived in that big house.
0: <laughs> how she, how she affording that mortgage, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah well, yeah. well, and again, sort of like Harvey, you, you both have these sort of portraits of the ultra wealthy in a context of madness, uh, which, um, is, uh, I, I guess it's, it's an easy way so that you don't have to like, um, uh, you know, write her into doing, uh, you know, work yeah. or whatever else. But it's also, it, it just happened to be an interesting connection between these two. Yeah. I thought they were very similar films. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, true.
0: I, I mean, you know, once Luke meets um, his love interest, this artist, um, and she paints his portrait and we see his shadow or what she oh, perceives right, yeah. as his shadow. I, I think that happened about the same time code as Harvey happened when he had the portrait yeah. painted of him <laughs> with the rabbit. And it was the same exact thing. And it, arguably, Harvey was a scarier portrait. Yeah. <laughs> than just the shadow with the the, cron- the, the skin
1: crown or whatever he was wearing, right? Yeah, the this, fingernail the, um, crown. Yeah, the melted. Uh, <laughs> you know, look like a candle. That. Yeah. But um, you know, man, how much did the Harvey portrait look like it uh, belonged to that you know cult and true detective <laughs> or <those laughs> horrifying uh, you know uh, woodland creatures or whatever? Yeah, the like
0: uh, what the pagan the pagan yeah. ritual like yeah. yeah. Oh God. Uh yeah, so um. Overall, I, I I really, you know, enjoyed watching these movies, not so much for the quality of the movies, um, although I really like Daniel. Um, but it was nice to see how different storytellers can portray something that's so similar in, in many ways, especially between Harvey and Daniel. Mm-hmm. Um, tonally, obviously, very much different, but overall, like, very similar films. Um, and Cloak and Dagger was kind of, kind of like the middle of the two in terms of, you know reality versus imaginary and cloak and dagger just kinda had that at the end, but Daniel that Daniel was real the whole time. Harvey, I guess, Mm. was real the whole time. And so those two were a little bit
1: more similar than um than Cloak and Dagger in that respect. Yeah, that's true. I you know, although you know, with Luke, uh, you know, we do get that sort of trials perspective, which is, you know, similar to to uh Elliot and uh in Cloak and Dagger um, in both cases, uh, Clo- Cloak and Dagger and Daniel, the imaginary friend acts as uh, sort of a mentor and, you know, a confidence booster and some of these things. And, um, the, you know, it's, it is it is wild to see how many like sort of connections there are. Yeah. In, in that sense.
0: Especially watching these movies so close together. You know, you'd never put Harvey and, you know, a current horror film in the same category. <laughs> but they right. are, I mean, like I said, and I keep repeating it, I, I don't mean to do that, but... Beat
1: for beat, on and in most instances, they're they're hitting the same notes. Um, where did you find Daniel isn't real? By the way, I, how did you hear about it? Just because of uh, Spectre Vision, or
0: yeah, pretty much. Um, so, I mean, truth be told, I'm a horror junkie when it comes to these kinds of things. I, I follow I'm, all the podcasts. I'm really proud
1: of you admitting that. Yeah,
0: I'm. A, I'm. Yeah, you know, it's a problem, but you know, <laughs> I'm dealing with it. Yeah. Um, but yeah I uh, was listening to uh, the postmortem podcast um with uh, Mick Garris who's a big he wrote and directed oh, uh-huh. a bunch yeah, of yeah. horror movies yeah um and uh, he has a podcast called postmortem and he had um he had Elijah Wood and Adam Egypt Mortimer on doing uh, an interview and they were talking about this movie when it first released um, um and I was just you know i I, I, I like these small uh, independent releases I, I think they're so much better than Anything that goes into especially horror movies, I think it's better than anything that goes into the Hollywood system, you know, the studio system. Um, Mm -hmm. So I was really excited to watch something like this, and I'm glad we had a a reason to watch it. But, yeah, I I heard about this probably when it first first came out because Shudder picked it up and it was just it was just going to be an independent film that was going to be shown at some festivals and possibly Mm -hmm. got some VOD distribution, which it did um, on Shudder.
1: Yeah, I, I found it hard to to find you know out there it's like okay you can rent it on itunes uh and i guess if you are mm. what do we call it like subscribe to shutter it's uh it's on there um but is it even is it out on uh blu-ray or anything like is there any other way to i don't think it?
0: there's i don't think there's a physical media of it i mean i'm sure there is but i don't think it's f- for wide distribution
1: on vhs is it on vhs I,
0: <laughs> I think they only came out with a beta and yeah. a laserdisc, oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah, So you
1: know, hopefully you can watch it there. Maybe someday we'll get the HD DVD of it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, cool. Let's uh, let's wrap this up. We um we just uh, talked about some films that uh, touch on imaginary friends, um, Harvey, Cloak and Dagger, and Daniel isn't real. Um, again, you know, very similar films in, in terms of beats, but they um, you know, all had their their own voice. I'd say um, you know, maybe a little bit more. Daniel isn't really focused on a little bit more of trying to um, pull in a bunch of inspiration. But at the same (laughs) time, I think that they all had their own own place in this uh, world of imaginary films, imaginary friend films. And uh, yeah, that's uh, that's it for today's Grindhouse Institute. Um, Next week, we'll be doing sequels. And specifically, we're going to be doing uh, sequels that are I guess, arguably better than the original. I think that that's how this I'll came out. I'll argue up. that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't doubt it. Yeah. I don't doubt it at all. Um, Get ready to so, argue. Yeah, that sounds great to me. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we will be back with our uh, sequels that were better than the first one. I'm Brian Foster for the Grindhouse Institute. Ciao. Ciao. Lady Ace. Come on, Mm -hmm. Kim, play right. All right. Prepare to penetrate the enemy stronghold. Follow me in. This is what I meant by embarrassing.